Hi all, um, I'm Daniel, part of Arandao. We are a DAO Innovation Center. We focus on shipping research around DAO governance and operations and incubating DAO tooling. Today here I have Bart, who's been a, a leader of the Beyond Budgeting Movement, and I thought it would be a really fascinating conversation to, to invite him over for him to share some of the, the lessons, the, the very, very much hard-earned lessons trying to make corporations more agile uh, and and so can help a little bit what we're doing in this DAO world as we scale and DAOs become more complex and hopefully not more cumbersome. So uh, Bart, over to you if you'd like to do a, a, a quick introduction and, and then the, the floor is yours. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for the uh, invitation and, and welcome to you all. Um, I'm not quite sure what your expectations are today, and I might kind of come crashing in open doors, but uh, let's see. Um, I hope you like what I have to share with you. Um, I've been working with Beyond Budgeting for more than 25 years before the, it was actually named uh, Beyond Budgeting. And um, until recently, I, I worked for a Scandinavia's largest company, which is called Equinor, where we implemented Beyond Budgeting many years ago, and I've been heading up that uh, that. Uh, um, activity and uh, last year I took a difficult decision. I took early retirement to uh, be able to work full time with this through my own company, Boxness uh, Advisory. I'm also the chairman of the Beyond Budgeting uh, Roundtable, which is an international network of um, companies interested uh, in um, in this stuff. And I'll share the website with you a little bit later. It was in no way given that I should be here with you today and and talk about beyond budgeting because my career started in a very different place. When I graduated from business school back in the early 80s, um, my first management job at Equinor, the company used to be called Statoil at the time, my first management job um, was head of the corporate budget department. So I've been having a lot more budget processes in my life than I want to be reminded about. So I know what I'm talking about. And let me also say already here, when I, when I say budgets, it is more than project budgets and cost budgets. It's the kind of full finance definition, profit and loss, cash flow, balance sheet, and so on. And I'm also talking about budgeting in an even extended way as a command and control way of managing, as I will um, come, come back to. Uh, what I want to share with you today is first the case for change as we see it. Um, uh, from a, a corporate perspective, the, the problems with traditional management, including budgeting. Then we'll talk, of course talk about beyond budgeting. Um, so what it is and how it works and why it improves performance the right way. I've got some, uh, as I will share with the model with you, but also some exciting cases before we go to the um, main case of today, um, Equinor uh, and uh, its model, Ambition to Action. Um, I'm going to pause a bit before that, because um, I want to kind of check out time and I want there to be enough time for questions. So if you have loads of questions on the two first bullet points, then we might skip the last one, but, but we, we'll see how, how, this, uh, how this works. 
every time, by the way, I think there's somebody that has muted. Um, if you can do that, thanks. Uh, every time I talk about this stuff, there is one word that keeps coming up over and over again. And that word is control. And the context is, of course, the fear of losing control. And I often ask people, what do you mean with this uh, word? And many, very often, you know, people go quiet after they have mentioned cost control. They struggle with defining what they mean with what they are so afraid of losing, which is quite interesting. So I had a look at Oxford Dictionary. How do they define control? And they call it the power to influence or direct people's behavior or the course of events. And what does this mean in organizational terms? Well, it basically means controlling people and controlling the future. And behind these two, you find the two main assumptions behind traditional management. Number one, you can't trust people. Number two, the future is predictable and planable. And you know, as I do, that this is not true. These are illusions, for instance, that people can and must be managed. Well, of course you can manage people, but if people are managed in stupid ways, hopefully they find a way around in order to get their job done. And when it comes to the future, the only thing we know is that we don't know. Talking about people and trust, uh, I've always traveled a lot and now it's picking up again after the pandemic. And the first thing I always check at the hotel room is what kind of clothing hangers do they have? You recognize the two, and I guess we can all agree that the one at the bottle is a hassle to use compared to the one with a hook. So how come some hotels offer us these stupid hangers? And I guess we all know why. It is because a few hotel guests who once stole a few of the hangers with a hook. And what was the response? To punish everybody because somebody did something wrong. Actually, one of the problems with traditional management. Wise people out there have agreed with what I just have said about people and the future. Peter Drucker, most of what we call management is about making it difficult for people to do their job. And when it comes to the future, planning the future, another wise person, Russell Akoff, he compared a lot of the corporate planning he observed in bigger organizations. He compared it with a ritual rain dance. It has no effect on the weather, but those who engage in it think it does. And I know what Mr. Akoff is talking about here, because I have done a lot of dancing in my life um, in various budget uh, or finance manager roles, heading up budget processes. I really don't think it had a big impact on the performance of the companies. So much for wise people, um, Mr. Drucker and Mr. Akoff. Um, Imagine an organization that uh, 100 years ago invented a fantastic machine, which was state-of-the-art and crucial for the success of this organization. And 50 years ago, this machine started to make some trouble. And today, this machine is completely broken. It looks like this. Uh, you will probably understand that this is not a true story, because in real life, people would have gotten together 50 years ago and done something, either try to fix the machine, or even better, try to invent a new machine, new, different and better, because innovation is something we all love, right? Innovation is great. Um, ah, and this, this fascination with innovation seems to be limited to technology innovation, into products and services, which is a very crowded place 
because everybody's into it in some form or shape. But there is also something called management innovation that we shall talk about today, which is not yet a crowded place because it seems scary, right? Kicking out the budget, are you crazy? And the consequence is that, uh, again, that is not a, a crowded place, which is actually good news for brave companies who dare to embrace, explore also this kind of innovation, because you can get just as much performance, competitive advantage out of management innovation as you can get from technology innovation. There are companies out there who openly admit or state that we have no advantage whatsoever in what we produce, what we sell, what we provide, we find it in the way we lead and manage. And I've got two examples for you in a, in a minute. So this is all about better performance defined in the right way. That is why we should go beyond budgeting. But it is still called beyond budgeting. It has something to do with budgets. And um, before we move on, I want to share with you my budget problem list, which also will come uh, all at once here, but never mind. Um, and this is a long list. It's a very time-consuming process, making budgets, following up budgets, uh, assumptions quickly outdated. Uh, it can stimulate what I would call unethical behaviors, the lowballing, the gaming, the sandbagging, the resource hoarding. That is not the kind of uh, behaviors that we would like to see in our organizations. And it can create these illusions of control that we talked about. Um, of course, it might feel very comfortable to have next year described with a million details and decimals. But the only thing we know is that we don't know, right? And if we don't have control, however we define that, it's probably better to acknowledge that we don't have control and act accordingly, than to think that we have it and act accordingly. Uh, budgets can force us to make decisions too early. We have to decide in the autumn, the year before, what we shall do next year, what it shall cost. And in big organizations, too many of these decisions are taken too high up. Budgets can prevent us from doing stuff that we probably should have done, but we can't because it's not in the budget. But this also works the other way around. Uh, maybe it can lead us to do things that we maybe shouldn't have done, but it is in the budget and it is spend it or lose it. You know the game. And linked to this, I fully accept that the cost budget can be a very effective ceiling for cost. But let's not forget that it is just as effective as a floor in the sense that these budgets tend to be spent for the reasons that we just discussed. And today, and, and to define good performance as hitting the budget numbers is a very narrow mechanical way of defining performance. We need a richer, broader performance language. And before I, I, I share the last problem with you, uh, I have been sharing these problems with hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. Um, and most agree. Executives, managers, even finance people agree with these problems, uh, which is quite interesting because the majority of them still continue doing this stuff, even if this is changing these days. Uh, I have a possible reason, as I'm hinting to here, but before that, one more problem that not too many have on the list is called conflicting purposes. I'll come back to that problem. It's a special problem because it also represents a solution to many of these other problems here. But the reason co organizations continue doing stuff like this could be that they, these problems are regarded more as irritating itches and not symptoms of a bigger and more 
serious problem. But that is exactly what they are, symptoms of a very serious problem, which is also a paradox. Because here we are looking at a, a process invented roughly a hundred years ago. It's quite old management technology we are talking about. And in case you don't know, the inventor was Mr. James O. McKinsey, the founder of McKinsey Consulting. I never met Mr. McKinsey, but I don't think he was an evil man. I actually think he had the best of intentions. He wanted to help organizations perform better. And I'm sure it worked a hundred years ago, maybe even 50 years ago. But today, this way of thinking, this way of managing is doing exactly the opposite. It has become more of a barrier than a support for getting out the best possible performance in organizations. And that I would call a pretty big problem. So we are back to this important word performance. And I would like to reflect on that word now for a few minutes in a quite a different setting than, than organizations. Um, uh, let's move into traffic because when we are out driving, we would also like to experience good performance. And for me, that would mean a safe and good flow. I simply hate traffic jams. And uh, by the way, I never understood why it's called the rush hour. There's no rush at all. Those cars are standing dead still. But there's so much that I don't understand. Um, anyway, um, this is something we often meet when there is uh, crossing traffic. And um, uh, the one who is in control here, who makes decisions about when you can drive, when you have to stop, is the one who programmed this light. And where would that person be as you're sitting waiting for the green light? Well, somewhere else. And the information this programming and coding would be based on would not be entirely fresh information for obvious reasons. But again, the best of intentions to create a safe and good flow. Fortunately, there is an alternative. We are talking about the roundabout. Um, very different answers on the same questions, because here we as drivers are in control. We take decisions about when to stop and when to drive and the information we use to make these decisions is fresh real-time here and now uh, information so very different answers um, so it could be interesting to compare a bit more these two ways of managing and let's do that and here i got a few leading questions for you um, it's proven scientifically that the roundabout is not just more efficient it's also safer and actually it has lower lifetime cost. But we all know that it's also more difficult to relate to, to drive in a roundabout. We need more competence and going back to our organizations, everything we need to leave behind of traditional management is in many ways much easier for everybody involved than what we need to move towards. Um, we are not doing this stuff because it's easier. We are doing it because it's better, but it takes more from us. Uh, it takes more on leadership, independent of we, whether we have formal leadership roles or not. Two other important words here. Trust is obviously one. In front of that light, we are not trusted to make decisions. In the roundabout, we are. And who we need to trust also varies, because in the roundabout, we need, sorry, ahead of the light, we need to trust the coder, the programmer, and the hardware. In the roundabout, we need to trust the other drivers. Transparency is another important word. Not that important in front of the light, as long as we can see the color of the light, we can make our decisions. 
in the roundabout, we need to see and understand the entire situation to make our decision. I'm quite sensitive to language and words in the stuff that we are talking about here. And there are some labels and words in the corporate language that I really dislike. And one of those is performance management. I dislike that label for two reasons. First of all, I find it quite negative uh, because what you basically are saying is that if we don't manage your performance, there will be no performance. And I don't think that's true. And I think there was some illusion of it in, <laughs> as well, in the sense that I think our ability to manage performance in today's people and business realities is somewhat more limited than what we often like to think. But performance management is a label that fits nicely when we talk about the traffic light. That is exactly what traffic authorities are doing. But in the roundabout, it is about something else. It is about creating conditions for great performance to take place. It is about enabling performance, not managing performance. And this is more than playing with words. These are two fundamentally different ways of addressing that important question. How do we get the best possible performance in our organizations? That question is not new. That has been with us always. It is the answers that have changed. The roundabout is a more self-regulating way of managing. And self-regulation is another important word here. Um, organizations need more self-regulating uh, management models for at least two reasons. The first reason, obviously, has to do with our business environment, about all the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, and the ambiguity out there. And if we take that VUCA level seriously, it must have implications for how we design our management models compared to if there is no or little VUCA out there. That should be quite, quite obvious. The other reality we need to reflect on is not external, it's internal. It has to do with people, it has to do with employees, asking ourselves what kind of people do we generally believe that we have in our organization? And I guess you're all familiar with Douglas McGregor and his theory X and theory Y. And this positive and negative view on the, or, yeah, or, or negative and positive view on, on uh, people and what motivates people. And as you, as you know, uh, theory X is quite a negative view, a view that um, most employees are a bunch of potential thieves and crooks. And unless we manage them tightly and keep them on short leeches, they will all run away and do a lot of stupid things and spend money like drunken sailors. Well, if you have read McGregor's book, you will know that he was a bit more polite than academic, but I think that's what he meant. And then you have theory why this much more positive view on people, a view that most people, most employees actually want to do a good job. They want to be involved. They want to be listened to. They want to be treated as adults. And again, what kind of people view we have must also have a big impact on how we design our management model. Because if we mainly believe in X, that model should look very different compared to if we mainly believe in Y. If we combine these two realities that we need to reflect on, then uh, it could look like this. And you recognize the two dimensions. And traditional management, I would argue, lies in this lower left-hand corner with a conscious or unconscious assumption that the world is still a uh, planable and predictable place, and that most people is on the exit. If we disagree with that, which I hope we all do, then this is not the place to be. Then we need to move up in that upper right-hand corner by addressing both 
people and leadership horizontally and our management processes vertically. And first of all, what we need to get out of traditional management is rigid, detailed, very annual. It's rules-based. There's a lot of micromanagement, centralized command and control, a lot of secrecy and a strong belief in sticks and carrots as ways to drive performance. What we need to do on the leadership side is to become more purpose-based, more values-based. There has to be more autonomy. There has to be more transparency. And again, here comes that important word, transparency. And in this context, this is good news for scared managers, afraid of leaving that rather comfortable corner. Because transparency can be quite an effective control mechanism, a social control mechanism. Uh, you might have heard about this fascinating um, experiment in Roche, the Swiss pharmaceutical giant, who's today, who today is on a beyond budgeting journey. But some years ago, they did a very interesting experiment around travel cost. In a pilot, they kicked out the travel budget, travel rules and regulations, and replaced it with full transparency. So with a few exceptions, everybody could see everything. If you travel to where, did you fly, sleep, eat, cheaper, expensive, open for your colleagues to see, and vice versa. And guess what happened with travel cost in that pilot? Came down through a very simple self-regulating control mechanism. This was about tearing out pages in the rules book instead of doing the opposite. But one word of warning on transparency. It is a very powerful mechanism. It must be applied with wisdom. And if it becomes naming and shaming, it doesn't work. And we should always position transparency more from a learning perspective than from a control perspective. And last but not least, um, internal or uh, in, internal motivation as opposed to external or extrinsic motivation. And I'm sure that you're all familiar with what I'm going to say now, that I can think of no other area where there's a bigger gap between what most research is telling us um, about mastery, purpose, belonging, and autonomy as ways to really motivate the knowledge organizations uh, and what most businesses is practicing, which is individual bonuses. Uh, it's simply uh, amazing. So a key beyond budgeting mes message is uh, no to individual bonuses. We are a big fan of common bonus schemes driven by how the organization is doing, for instance, versus others. A number of organizations, they have the best intentions when it comes to the people side. They say the right things, they write the right things, but it doesn't help to have these theory Y leadership visions if we have theory X management processes, which is the case in many organizations, which means that we need to change our management processes to better reflect what we hopefully mean about people while at the same time making these management processes more VUCA robust. And that includes doing, for instance, something with the traditional detailed annual budgets because they represent so much of what we find in that lower left-hand corner. More specifically, when we shall set targets and goals to the extent we shall do that, that is a separate discussion, then where it makes sense, let's be ins find inspiration in football. I have yet to meet the football team saying that the ambition for next season is 39 goals and 42 points. They don't think like that. They think in terms of league tables and doing well and ideally outperforming peers in competition. When it comes to the cadence, the rhythm of these processes, 
we must organize them more business driven more event driven and less calendar driven and last but not least when we shall evaluate performance we cannot reduce that to comparing two numbers and then conclude again we need a richer broader performance evaluation and this is as you can see uh, beyond budgeting in a nutshell addressing both leadership and management processes in order to become more adaptive and more human not necessarily as a goal in itself but as we all know this is what it takes to survive to thrive to outperform in today's and tomorrow's business and people realities a number of companies are on this journey today in some form or shape and here is an overview of some of them and i could have spent days talking about fascinating cases here and we don't have the time so two very quick examples let's start in norway in the upper right hand corner you see a company called miles miles is a norwegian it company business in norway the baltics south africa and india miles have or if you work if you work for miles you can buy whatever pc you want as expensive as you want replace it as often as you want there are no pc budgets you can attend whatever conference you want wherever in the world as often as you want no travel budgets no training budgets but it's not an anarchy when you have bought that pc when you have returned from that training you have to post on the internet what you did and the cost of it so again transparency is their only control mechanism they have no problems whatsoever with cost let's move to a bigger company which is also a pioneer in the beyond budgeting community it is a company you find in the middle at the top a swedish bank called handelsbanken which has around 500 branches in northern europe quite big in the uk by the way and this is a fascinating case um, this bank has uh, no budgets no targets and um, no individual bonus and they have been operating like this since 1970 with amazing performance this bank has been performing better than the average of its competitors every single year since 1972. this is among the most cost-effective universal banks in europe and the bank has never needed any bailout from the authorities because they messed it up it can't be a coincidence a company with a radically different management model compared to most other companies a lot of decentralization a lot of autonomy a lot of transparency and fantastic results year after year after year handelsbanken and some other companies here inspired what became known as beyond budgeting in the late 90s and the beyond budgeting principles were actually formulated a few years before the agile manifesto at the time there was almost no contact between the two communities that has changed today um i speak a lot at agile conferences um but back then very little uh, but i hope you can see these similarities um even if we go straight for 12 instead of uh, via uh, four main principles um, a few reflections on these before we move on i will not go through this in detail now but as you can see we are addressing both leadership principles and management processes as i talked about and if you look at what we say about leadership here i don't think we are that unique as such i think many communities including your own probably have similar views but many of these communities have not reflected very much on what kind of management processes are needed to activate 
underpin these kind of leadership principles. Um, and that is something we focus very strongly on in Beyond Budgeting. What, what must be the implications for uh, the rhythm, uh, for how we set targets, uh, plan and forecast, allocate resources, evaluate performance and reward performance. So coherence is a key word here in several dimensions. Coherence between what we preach on the left-hand side and what we practice on the right-hand side. A classical example of the opposite. It doesn't help that we talk loud and warm about how fantastic people we have on board and we would be nothing without you and we trust you so much, but not that much. Of course, we need detailed travel budgets. Hypocrisy is what I call it. Poisonous gaps between what is said and what is done. We also need a vertical coherency, especially between the management processes, um, all the way through how we set targets, plan and forecast again, allocate resources, evaluate and reward. It had the same philosophy must underpin all of these processes. And last but not least, there has to be a coherence between the internal management model and the volatility of the outside um, uh, environment. Um, and the less viable your internal management model uh, is compared to what uh, its environment is, uh, or if it is less viable, it will over time die. Some people find um, this, these principles a bit, a bit big, a bit scary. Um, I understand that. And uh, especially finance people find this a bit scary. And for them, especially, there is a, a safe and logical um, place to get started, which later can take you into these bigger discussions. And it starts with asking ourselves a very simple question, namely, why do we budget? And again, you need to think about the broad definition of a budget. And most people which I ask this question, they come up with three different reasons. They say that we make budgets to set targets financial targets, sales targets, production targets. At the same time, these budgets shall be a kind of forecast of what next year can look like in terms of profit and loss, cash flow, and so on. And last but not least, the budget is a resource allocation mechanism, handing out bags of money to the organization um, on, on operational costs and investments. Uh, and it might seem very efficient to solve all three in one process and one set of numbers. But that is, all, that is also the problem, because what happens when we are moving into a budget process, a traditional one, and um, corporate finance wants to understand next year's profit, um, and they ask people that are responsible on the revenue side, what's your best numbers for next year? And, uh, but everybody knows that the numbers I'm sending upstairs will come back to me as a target for next year, maybe with a bonus attached. And we all know that that insight might do something to the numbers submitted. Moving to the uh, cost side, uh, operational cost investments, uh, the same people, other people are asked, what are your best numbers for next year? But everybody knows that this is my only shot at getting access to resources for next year. And some might also remember that 20% cut from last year. And that insight and that memory might also do something to the level of numbers submitted. And this is a problem, not just because it destroys the quality of numbers, but even more that it stimulates this behavior that is at least borderline unethical. Again, the lowballing, the gaming, the sandbagging, the resource holding. 
At the same time, I'm not blaming people behaving like this because they are simply responding to the system we have designed for them to operate in. So if we want to change behaviors, you all know that then we need to change our systems, the design of our systems. This, this is not about fixing people. Uh, the good news here is that there is a very simple solution, as you can see. We can still do these three things, but we should do them in three separate processes because these are different things. A target is an aspiration. It's what we want to happen. While a forecast is an expectation. It's what we think will happen, whether we like what we see or not. And resource allocation is about optimization of what is often scarce resources. And because we have separated, we can know, for instance, allow for targets to be more ambitious than forecasts, which they typically should be. But even more important, the separation allows us or opens up for a big improvement agenda. We can have great discussions about how we can improve each of these. And you see some examples here on, on um, under each one. And also important, when we have separated the three, we can then organize each one on a rhythm that um, better reflects the not just the individual purpose, but also the kind of business variant. So more event driven and less calendar driven. And let me give you a quick example of what this could mean in a resource allocation um, uh, setting. Um, let's, uh, let's go to Equinor. Uh, and that company has no traditional annual investment budget where you sit in the autumn the year before and decide everything, exactly how much to invest in total, exactly the split on, on, on projects, which are then handed out as next year's budget for these projects. Instead, there is a process based on the very simple concept, the bank is always open. So the line can always forward project for approval at any time. Uh, whether you get a yes or no depends on two things, how good is your project and can we afford it as things look today. So this again, to compare with Agile, this is beyond budgeting's version of continuous delivery, not of software functionality, but of decisions and resources. I have now covered the two first sessions of, um, of my talk and I, I do propose that we, we, we pause here. I will stop sharing and then uh, take your questions here and then we see what time we've got left for the remaining slides on the Equinor case. Is that okay? Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. There's been already already so much packed uh, in this in this presentation. Um, I'd love to ask you uh, perhaps a little bit of a comparison. So the, the way I'm seeing a lot of a lot of DAOs starting to operate at the moment is with quarterly budgets. They call it a season and then every quarter they're doing um, an exercise of trying to identify the expenses that each team will have. Uh, they go, uh, they go allocate capital, and then they review that in, you know, in, in three, three months later. Mm. Uh, how, how would the event-driven process be, be different from that? Well, I think that way of doing it is solving very few of the problems uh, which are listed on that budget problem list. You're solving the rhythm, so you become a bit more dynamic on rhythm, but you're not solving the conflict between target forecast resource allocation uh, and, and many other things. Uh, you still use that to evaluate performance. And so uh, I think that is a, a, 
uh, it might be very very simple solution that finance people can agree to but you basically you get to budget four times a year a lot more work more pissed off people and and, you, and you've solved very few of the the, the problems so um, that would be my response you have to be braver you have to be braver so, so could you could you walk us into um perhaps in in one of these uh really small organizations how that could look like uh structurally in terms of approaching it well i first want to say that you know organizations they are born beyond budgeting right um they become something else when they want to grow because most small organizations want to grow they want to become big and some succeed um, and on that growth journey they think the answer is to copy what these big companies did when it comes to their management processes and uh, which they typically do and one day they they might become big but they also uh, realize that they have been, been become slow and rigid and and uh, uh, bureaucratic and sometimes quite sad places to work um, and uh, uh, this is uh, very unfortunate um, because the the um, uh, if you want to grow then the the and, and the question for many of these big companies then becomes how can we find our way back to that quality agility we had as a small organization without losing the benefit of being big so how can we be small and big at the same time the question for small organizations should be how can you grow without ending up in the same misery and it is possible miles which i talked about the norwegian company is one example they have been growing and are able to maintain uh, what they had as a smaller organization but it's only possible if you are very conscious about it every day um, so so uh, so again the the it would look like a lot of the the principles that i talked about uh, you have the autonomy the transparency and you have the the, the business driven rhythms and you have the continuous delivery of decisions try to make decisions including resource allocation decisions actually as late as possible trying to make these decisions at the right time out at the right level and for the right reasons right and that is not once a year um, for instance that that is simply meaningless so so what it looks like well very much like what it looked like in those early pioneer days it's very much a, a question of maintaining what you have uh, it's quite fascinating because i mean just after this session, I'm having a, a, a workshop with a US uh, small biotech company. And I always start by asking people, companies, what kind of problems are you trying to solve? And they have been very clear what they are trying to solve is uh, not problems they have today, but to avoid ending up in the same problems that all the, the big companies have in, in this business. Thank you very much. Makes uh, makes a lot of makes a lot of sense. I guess like when I when I think about it, and I had uh, read the the book uh, some time ago, I was I was then comparing it. We have uh, other sort of DAOs that have a continuous funding process that is community led, where anyone in the community can propose uh, an expense, and then people vote, and the expense mm. gets approve or not and if the the person insists long enough that this expense is needed uh, and they prioritize it above other expenses eventually the expense happens irrespective of how many people are supporting it if the person either people are convinced for long enough that is a priority 
expense to to happen um but i guess i'm still there's there's still a part of me that is fearing that if this happens there is going to be some potentially bigger more impactful projects that are always struggling to to get the funding because they are being front run by smaller initiatives with which perhaps is a good idea in many situations as one can break a big project into smaller ones and just move faster that way um but i'm a little bit afraid of let's say the the strategy issue of not going fully in one direction nor fully in the other uh, and perhaps losing the ability to make hard trade-offs which i think is perhaps the only positive i can see in a in a traditional budgeting process but you're making trade-offs and going for this instead of this um uh, the dilemma of kind of saying yes to something today and something comes up tomorrow that that would have been better to say yes to that dilemma you will never get out of but you don't solve that by doing these once a year right so again what you describe i think is is one of many interesting experiments we are seeing these days on resource allocation but again you need to remember that that is just one part of budgeting and what we are looking at so you also need to think about target setting forecasting performance evaluation and rewards right so so uh, i've seen kind of ad, some actors in the agile community kind of proposing this as the alternative to budgeting but they are they're just addressing one piece of the puzzle and you need to you need to look at the whole model and you have to make sure that the new um that there is consistency in the new way of doing things so if you only change how you do resource allocation and none of the others then there will typically be incoherence uh, in, in your model thank you makes uh makes a lot of sense does anyone else have any any questions uh at this point or maybe we can still use a few minutes to continue Okay. Uh, I have Please. a question about, uh, uh, sorry, uh, may I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's about uh, one of the aspects that you kind of talked about, the whole performance evaluation part, you know, which kind of goes into how you want to be directional and it shouldn't be about plain rewards and targets per se, it should be pretty holistic, right? And uh, one thing that made me think out is, especially when you consider DAOs these days, you've had this sort of um, leisurely way of distributing budgets uh, through probably grant programs or even coordinate to some extent. Uh, but a lot of the feedback that I would get is there's a lot of apathy when it comes to evaluating how uh, those budgets have kind of been uh, optimized in the right way. So my question is, uh, b when you don't set that sort of targets uh, per se, when, when you don't do it from a rewards standpoint, kind of have that sort of performance evaluations, which uh, on one hand you retain people to do the best thing, but at the same time it kind of works out for the budget itself. Yeah, I, I think again, I mean everything hangs together and, and performance evaluation of course starts with how you set targets. Right, so you need to change how you set targets um, in, into more more meaningful ways. And, and hitting a budget number is very often a meaning, uh, meaningless uh, target. And, um, and, and as I mentioned, some companies go further. They actually abolish target setting. And um, 
they say that while well, we are perfectly able to evaluate performance, even if we have it, even if we haven't predefined upfront what good performance look like. So what they are doing is that they simply look at the facts on the ground afterwards and take into consideration headwind, tailwind, changes in assumptions, whatever, and have a, a qualified assessment of what kind of performance are we looking at. Um, and that kind of holistic assessment you should have, well, independent of whether you have targets or not. Then it's a new discussion, separate discussion, what are then the um, reward implications? And uh, as I have mentioned, the beyond budgeting recommendation is no individual bonus, but uh, as much as possible, uh, a shared uh, scheme um, throughout the company. I don't know if that answers your question. It did. Uh, thank you so much, sir. Okay. Other questions? Yeah. <clears throat> I'm curious why such a strong feeling against individual bonuses? Well, it's uh, again, it's partly based on, on um, uh, it's very much based on what most research is telling us. Um, and uh, it's also always nice to kind of um, uh, test the search against yourself. Um, and I've been on individual bonus schemes for most of my career. And of course, I enjoy the money. And I'm not saying money is not important. But if somebody thinks this is what motivates me, they haven't done their homework. Um, I mean, there are so many other things that, that makes me tick and, and makes me hopefully uh, perform. I would actually call, to be a bit blunt, I would call individual bonus uh, a little bit of uh, managerial laziness. Because it is about kind of dangling this, this uh, carrot, a bag of money in front of you and say, do this and get that. Whereas motivating or helping people motivate themselves through mastery, autonomy, purpose, and belonging takes much more uh, leadership than dangling that, 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 uh, that bag of money. I'm not saying that you can't go beyond budgeting without, uh, without uh, if, if you don't kick out individual bonus. But if you still have individual bonus, that holistic performance evaluation is very important. But you can't just kind of have this mechanical link between, well, this is the target, this is the budget, and this is your percentage uh, bonus. It's, um, I mean, if you look at a lot of the disasters in, 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 in the business world over the years, has been linked to people blindly chasing their bonus targets with uh, horrible results. And I think it's also interesting that you see, again, this this bank I talked about uh, performing so much better on average than the competitors um, without individual bonus, uh, even in the UK, where that is the exception, and they recruit their branch managers from other UK uh, banks because expatriates is too expensive, right? Cost is important, and they have no problem being competitive recruiting without the uh, individual bonus. Um, because in total, through their management model, the people view, the autonomy, and also the common bonus scheme, they do become competitive. I think we may be talking about different things then. You're talking about uh, that there is a salary which is pre-work, and then there is a bonus which is post-work, which factors in the business unit performance. Uh, to me, that's not individual bonus. That's simply some calculation you run 
I'm talking about uh, bonuses for people uh, for demonstrating sort of like excellence and above and beyond the call of duty type stuff. And to me, the importance of that is actually not for the one receiving the bonus, but for the team overall. And so I would be kind of leery not having that mechanism as a manager uh, to, you know, where a team can gather and pat somebody on the back and congratulate them. Uh, the process can start with that, you know, pointing out of excellence and giving them the bonus. So to me, it's not even about the recipient, it's about the team. And with that definition of individual bonus, I can follow you because that is not do this and get that. That is not the predetermined target that you're supposed to hit. It is a kind of clap on the on the shoulder afterwards. That could be in monetary terms. It could be in, in you know, other other things. Doesn't have to be money. Um, so I think that's 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 not within my definition of, of um, individual bonus. I think that was useful that you brought up. So you're thinking more of a in a sort of commission structure where well, there is a component. A CEO being rewarded on hitting a bottom line target is a classical one, right? Um, that's what that's what I mean. Right. So, well, yeah, yeah. There's been this whole financialization problem with people uh getting paid based on the stock price or uh being paid on the basis of hitting a certain uh, number somewhere on the PNL, and yeah, that that can create uh, perverse incentives. I understand that. So maybe we uh, agree more than we we think here. Good. Other questions? Um, I have a question about. So you clearly. Uh, dislike the annual budget process. And one thing we've been talking about in our little organization, so different levels of spending and group and, you know, deserve different cadence. Have you seen that done effectively where at some level, you know, let's say the business unit level for a team or a multi, you know, trillion dollar, whatever, they do it annually, and then there is a level at which you budget, I don't know, your uh, cash box weekly. I mean, can there be a stacking uh, of budgeting or this kind of financial planning at incremental cadence? Absolutely. I mean, you don't need to have the same kind of cadence uh, set up throughout the organization. I think the most important is that it's more business driven and event driven and less calendar driven um, if but we shouldn't be fundamentalists if the calendar year or the fiscal year if that represents a natural business reason for a company then that might be okay but that will be more the exception than the rule so again you're back to make sure that you take decisions including on resource allocation at the right time at the right level and for the right reasons it is as simple and as difficult as, uh, as that. Well, yeah, calendar year doesn't match anybody's uh, cycle, whether you're in the Christmas uh, selling season or whether you're in the harvest season. Whatever seasons you've got, they're not going to be the calendar quarters. You know, there is nothing magical about calendar quarters. 
it's just a line in the sand. Right. Right. Um, I, I'm looking at time here, and I'm afraid I need to skip that last those last slides because I've got this other session afterwards. Um, but I really enjoyed your questions here, and um, I hope you still got something out of this. If you give us links, whatever information you'll provide, uh, we'll actually look. We tend to yeah. like explore. If I can, if I can share with you, um, just a minute. So, if you want more information here, um, the, uh, I, I, I'll share with the slides in anyway. But I mean. These are my coordinates, and uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn, this is the only stuff I write about. And here is the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable website, and also my own. And then you have um, the long version of uh, all of this, which looks like this. And um, I've got a new book coming out um, in, um, in, in the autumn, um, which is a shorter one for busy people who don't have time to read, because those are very often the ones who really need to read. <laughs> and so, Arte, thank you thank you very much for everyone uh i just put the link to the arendau discord i'll i'll be sharing the the slides there if you can send them to me via, uh, via email then i'll share it with everyone else in our discord yeah. uh, in the learning and discussion channel and we can also continue the the conversation there for anyone interested uh we'll probably discuss a few other ideas and probably experiment a little bit with how we can translate to those. Marge, thank you very much again for your time. This is uh, super interesting. Uh, really appreciate you sharing your experience here. Very good. Thank you for the invitation. Good luck. Yeah.